1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Man, we are so excited for this week. Um, Great podcast, very informational. Um, Talking with uh, Dave from Lucky Buck. Great conversation, but most of us are getting geared up for the Total Archery Challenge. I've got uh, a dozen and a half arrows here. I'm sitting... On uh, getting ready to uh, get all set up. So, I'm gonna go through some of the logistics on that. Um, we're gonna be up there Friday through Sunday. Um, Saturday, I'll basically be hanging out in the Latitude booth, going back and forth, uh, cooking. Uh, for the cookout, uh, we're shooting for about six, six thirty 30 for uh, cookout. Follow us on Instagram. Um, once we get up there, we'll figure out exactly where we're at best. I can tell we're going to be about 300 yards from the main lift. So, um, we're doing pork butt, elk ribs. Uh, John's got some, uh, walleye and, uh, some wahoo and that's just to come and hang out and, you know, We message and interact with so many people online. Um, We love going to ATA, but that's just for industry. So this is something that we love to do. We'd love for you to come out, hang out with us. There's no cost. Um, We're not providing any beer or anything, so bring a chair, whatever. Like, say, follow us on Instagram. We'll give you all the the details through the story there. And uh, really looking forward to it. Guys who are going to be there. Greg Lutzinger is shooting with us all weekend. Uh, Aaron Blyce from the Fall Podcast is going to be there. Deer Hunter Podcast guys are coming up. Um, Adjustable Red Dot guys, Zinger guys. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of people, but uh, it's going to be a fun place to just hang out, talk deer hunting, talk archery, um, and kind of get what you get on the podcast uh, in real life. You know, we try to have that deer camp fun. You know, kick back, get some information, but in reality, it's all about the camaraderie and having fun. And you know, we would love nothing more than to see you there. Like I said, there's no charge or anything. Latitude guys um, are going to be there, so again, just come hang out, say hi, and get something to eat. Uh, for the Patreons, we're going to be trying to shoot Friday. Um, A second course with any of the patrons that want to shoot We're shooting knock-on in the morning, I think at 11 So I think the lifts stop running generally 3 or 4 o'clock So we're going to have to just turn right around and and shoot We'll get that coordinated as well But logistically for patrons, got a new patron to uh, welcome to the fray Chris Burnett out of Ann Arbor, I've talked to Chris a bunch online Talked to him a few times uh, in person, great dude Thanks so much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And, you know, like the cookout and all the things, we do as much as we can to give back. And we only deal with uh, sponsors or anybody that's going to help us um, in that. So, you know, we do quarterly giveaways to give as much back as we can. Uh, worth giving away some uh, excellent rain gear. I'm going to bring some of that. So, uh, some guys have been asking about it. Uh, I'll bring that up there so you guys can check that out. Um, and then one of their hickory packs. Um, Spartan Forge. So, Spartan Forge, I keep telling you about their imagery, and uh, we're getting into that part of the season now where um, looking at deer movement, looking at predominant winds, when you're looking at cameras, setting all that. You can see that on the Spartan Forge app. And, I mean, the it's just a tremendous app and a great value. Uh, but you can go online to spartanforge.ai and use code bowhunter to save 25%. Uh, they're giving away one of their um, memberships. Um, we've got a gearhead bow. We're giving it away. Um, the guys from Redline, we had them on the podcast. They will be at the Total Archery Challenge. They're giving away a sight, uh stabilizer, and one of their quivers. Um, I'll have that on one of the bows up there as well. So um, we'll be... Giving that away. Uh, we bought a gearhead bow to give away uh, from our friends at Bowhunter Planet. Um, just a ton of stuff that we give away. Zinger, Fletchings, Lucky Buck. But Lucky Buck, will talk about it in this podcast. But, I mean, we do everything we can um, to, to give as much value to the patrons as we can. You know, $5, $10 a month, $0.33 cents a day, whatever, to help us do these kinds of things. I mean, that's how Greg Litzinger coming to shoot with us and stay with us. Um, and you guys can come and pick his brain and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, we offer, you know, free memberships to the Vitals Live where you get to actually ask questions to Jake Bush. Greg Litzinger, Andy May, um, all of that. So uh, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Borner Chronicles podcast, or just click the link uh, in the description on on Instagram. But this podcast, uh, we talk about Lucky Buck. Uh, It's kind of one of those weird things in Michigan. We talk about that. We talk about the baiting ban. Um, We talk about kind of how it actually helps antler growth kind of as a byproduct of actually helping your deer herd and how it was kind of you know uh, uh unforeseen thing as as dave uh, came up with this uh with his background from the the dairy nutrition side of it so um great podcast again thank you guys so much for listening if you're going to be up the total archery challenge shoot us a message come find us we'll do everything that we can to be available and again we appreciate everything thanks so much for listening enjoy the episode All right, everybody, Adam, back with another episode of the Boat Hunter Chronicles podcast. And today, um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice I don't have my Lucky Buck Perfect Perennial uh, back here behind me because I've sent that up to uh, the UP with my dad. He's up there uh, doing some (laughs) what we would call our our food plot work, but we're we're just getting into it. But we're talking with uh, Lucky Buck's own uh, Dave Wheeler tonight. So uh, how are you doing today, Dave?
0: very good thank you really excited to be on your show here
2: <laughs> well you know we, we've we been doing this for for quite some time and we've been hunting you know forever but we have not been I, I guess using the mineral we're not doing it everything like the big guys do we were public land guys and uh i've got a piece of property like i had mentioned my dad is up in the up now and uh we talked to some guys last year one guy in particular um up in the UP you know we're in Michigan where they can still use mineral and um the way that he's using it he's using it for inventory he's using it to kind of track deer activities um all that and that was you know somewhat intriguing to us and then you know getting to work with you guys this year that's really you know we've really been able to em- implement that you know within the restraints of what michigan uh, allows us to do so you know during the winter months which may or may not be the most beneficial for the deer herd but i'm sure we'll get into that um but uh so let's take a little bit of a introduction uh to yourself um So, uh, like your hunting history, your background, um, you know, with hunting, because that the, the, the mainstay of our show, you know, is, is about the, the hunter and, uh, you know, sometimes we see products as, as gimmicks or, or things, you know, everybody's just trying to tell you what you got to do to, to make it easier. Right. So what, what's your history with, with hunting in, in general?
0: So, so I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, my brother and I actually started it in Western Michigan in heart when I was a freshman in high school. Went to Michigan State for four years for dairy science. Learned some about nutrition and ended up getting out of the dairy business. But in the meantime, we led a really busy life on the farm. And my parents never hunted, so I never hunted. Um, I came down to Hillsdale about thirty-five years ago. Uh, and worked for a couple of different feed companies in dairy nutrition. Uh, learned a lot about nutrition and uh, had an opportunity to buy a mineral company that has been around since 1918. I'm the third owner. I bought it in 96 and uh, started mixing and selling custom minerals to uh, dairy farmers on my, with my own business. Before that, I had worked for two other feed companies for eight years and learned a lot about balancing rations and diets and stuff. But this company uh, catered mostly to small family dairy farms, which uh, were going out of business at a fairly rapid rate, even back then, and it's accelerated even more now. And I knew I would have to diversify at some point to either... Either that or I'd have to cover a lot more territory, which I didn't want to do. And at the time, in the mid-90s in Michigan, deer cocaine was really popular. And I thought, I can do better than that. And that was when I started working on a a formula that would be healthy for the deer, uh, as well as an attractant. And I did not really connect all the dots at that point. that a healthier deer has a bigger antler and so I, I actually took it up north and one of my first customers was Jay's Sporting Goods and I sold to a bunch of other uh, mom-and-pop grocery store or gas stations and in just in the fall of, of 97 and 98 and one of my dairy farm customers down here in Addison actually had the foresight to put it out in the spring when they really need it. And in the fall of 98, he shot the two biggest bucks he'd ever harvested in 45 years of hunting his little dairy farm in Addison. And I actually quit making Lucky Buck in uh, 99 because of TB in Northern Michigan. TB was affecting my dairy customers they had to quarantine their herds and had difficulty you know testing and so I just decided to quit making it but when this guy Delmer Kyle uh, shot these two big bucks my neighbor saw them and came and said he had to have some and so another neighbor came and said he had to have some and the local feed company said that he had some guys that really liked it so I made a 500-pound batch just for my two neighbors and the local feed mill. Well, the one guy that uh, was one of the guys that I was selling it to found the sheds on what ended up being the world's biggest eight-point, and right where he was feeding the mineral, and then he found he found one set in '99 and two sets of his 2,000 sheds and then he was killed on my farm in 2001, and that's what got the marketing going for Lucky Buck. I I freely tell people, if it weren't for that buck, I wouldn't be in the business today. That's what got people's attention, and he's just an incredible deer. Longest beams in the book when he was killed. He's still second for any whitetail for beam length, and the biggest eight-point ever, and perfectly clean, 185 inches, and He'd been on it for three years. We know how old he was. We'd sent the teeth in. It's just a phenomenal story, and and that's what got the entire uh, ball rolling. And I went back into production and started marketing, and it's just been a a real blessing ever since. It's just taken off, and and it's it's a real simple concept, but it's very distinctive from what other companies had been doing as far as its formulation and stuff, because I didn't grow up as a hunter, so I didn't read up on Dr. Carl and Dr. Woods and all the leading deer biologists, what they say. I didn't know any better. I, did, I just did it the way I knew I had to do it to control intake and to make a deer healthier. I didn't, like I said, put all the dots together and realize what it would do to antlers at the same time, I was just wanting them to be healthier than they would be on uh, at that time, the deer cocaine product.
2: So uh, l- let's step back just a just a little bit to, to when you decided that you could do a better job than the, the deer cocaine product. And I remember that. Uh, I mean, I had some of that. And it was just one of those things you just, you got the the marketing behind it, the way that it was packaged, it was kind of neat and you just threw it out there. Um But as you formulated this, you know, before you bring something up to J Sporting Goods, right? You had to have some sort of data or something to show for it. And from being like a non-hunter standpoint, like how do how do you just make it, and then you just say, "Yep, mine's better." Like what what
0: was that process like? I did not say mine was better. (laughs) That's that's the first distinction, and it it's really my background in in the nutrition side of it 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 revolves the one thing that i freely tell everybody is selenium is a wonderful highly underutilized highly uh, uh, under product that i put a lot of faith in the problem is it's it's toxic if they get too much of it. So you got to be really conservative or you got to control their intake. And so I've saw the results in all the years of my dairy nutrition, I saw the results of a selenium deficiency and of adequate selenium. And it is a huge difference. And I knew that if I could get a an aggressive level of selenium into those deer, that they would be healthier. So I utilized salt as a control mechanism where nobody else did. And like I said, if I would have read Dr. Crawler, Dr. Woods, or any of the leading deer biologists, it would have been marketing suicide to make a mix that was two-thirds salt. But there's no other way to control the intake on a wild white-tailed deer or range cattle or, or pasture cattle where my experience was. Whenever I made a mix of mineral for cattle on pasture, where I couldn't force it into their regular diet when they were just grazing, similar to what deer do, I used salt to determine how much they were going to eat. If they were were not eating enough, I would lower the salt level, and if they were eating too much, I would increase the salt level. And I could regulate exactly what I wanted them to eat. And I used that same thought process on the selenium level controlled by salt for the deer. And so I was pretty confident that these deer were going to be healthy because Michigan, along with 90% of the U.S., is deficient, if not devoid, in natural selenium. There's a few counties in Kansas, Texas, and the Dakotas have some selenium in in naturally, but the rest of the country does not. So I knew that it would satisfy that need. Now, And I knew that deer would be healthier. Now, I put a lot of this together since then as to how important and and how it's affecting it, specifically on antler growth. But at that time, I just knew it would be better than that other product that was on the market.
2: Right. But I mean, so if I was a Jay Sporting Goods and you've got people trying to pitch your products all the time to sell in the store and everything, you got a guy that doesn't hunt that you know, has a deer mineral that says it's going to make the deer healthier. Like what was the, what was the testing up until that point?
0: Zero. When I, when I walked into Jay's (laughs) and sold them, I had an apple flavored salt-based mineral locally made or made in Michigan. And some people say I'm a fairly good salesman, fairly persuasive. And I talked to them into giving it a try. And that was end of story there. There's a little more to the story as far as the naming of the product that makes for a really interesting, (laughs) uh, I, I actually called it something else before I named it lucky buck. And I got into some, I could have got myself into some serious trouble if I would have continued that and hadn't caught the problem. And my wife, takes credit and deserves credit for uh, coming up with the, with the brand lucky buck. And uh, we did, we did a search and, but that, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother story, but um, it, it really, there was no, at that point, there was no testing. I knew, I knew that they would eat it and I knew that they would be healthier based on my nutritional background but other than that it was it was nothing else at that point and I didn't claim anything else at that point until I figured out why it was doing what it was doing to the antlers I didn't put any guarantees on it it was like I said an apple flavored salt and and most hunters when they see the word apple and they see the word salt they know that the deer are going to go for it. Now, everything else has developed since then, and it's gotten a lot more complex as far as why it's working and how it's working. But at that point, that was it.
2: So has the formulation changed, or I guess how much has the formulation changed from that first walking through the door into Jay's and uh, to what's on the shelves now?
0: Absolutely exactly the same. I have wanted to make, some slight improvements and changes but I want to be able to truthfully say that that's exactly what this world record 8.8 when he grew that antler and since then uh, two years later the state record for archery was taken in Hillsdale County and he was on it for two years and the next year uh, the youth state record was taken over by Marshall and he was on it for two years and the next year the biggest one ever killed in Ohio, 305 inches, was on it for one year. And so all of these just came so quickly and so with such obvious connections that I really didn't dare change anything because I didn't know exactly. I mean, this this was working, and we haven't slowed down since. I mean, we just produced the the buck that beat the jordan buck the biggest typical uh and i'm going tomorrow to see one that i i met a guy at the louisville farm machinery show where we had a booth set up that killed another 230 some inch out of southern indiana last year and and it just goes on and on and and these the photos were the trail cameras are you know proving you know not proving amount of consumption but proving uh a lot about the patterns and how much these deer are eating. The the trail cameras we have on that huff buck are just amazing. Uh, over a three year period, over eight miles, and with his nose just chowing down on it. So so we don't we don't we. I haven't dared change the formula at all at this point, even though there are some things that I think maybe uh, could improve it and. And there are some areas of the country that this isn't by itself uh, the total package of what you might need in in non-agricultural areas in big woods where there's no cropland. You know, phosphorus may become a limiting factor. I'm confident that this will still make a difference, but there may be another step in addition. So I've considered a formula for you know, the deep woods or for the West, you know, the, Texas has different needs than we do because they have some natural occurring selenium. And so, but I have had such good results in, in Kansas just a couple of years ago. We had the state record for Kansas had trail camera pictures. You'd had it for three years and it's just uh it's universally working wherever anybody is using it. So um, this is exactly the same formula we began with. So,
2: so I guess from like a, a devil's advocate standpoint, right? Your uh, product, uh, the Lucky Buck, with your formulation and you've got all of this data, um, Do you, again, do you have any studies or anything that show it versus any other mineral or other, uh, formulations. Um, I guess just not from like a, a claim standpoint, but just anecdotally, you know, seeing this one, cause you've got guarantees on there. And one of the things that I thought was like super cool is, you know, right on the, the packaging, it says, you know, if you use this for two years and you don't see a difference in the deer, you know, we'll give you your money back. And, you know, if you and it says, I don't know, you feed it as you're uh, as it's directed, you know, uh, you know, basically you'll you'll refund the money, uh, which I think is a very um I don't want to say bold statement is very confident. You know, you're saying, look, this is what's going to happen. But in these other areas, right, where other people are using minerals and there were minerals before Lucky Buck and there's plenty that have come after. um uh, have you done any comparisons or it doesn't really matter to you?
0: So my best proof, I think, is the reaction I get when I do shows. And at one point we were doing almost 20 shows a year, commercial consumer shows. And now we're, we don't need to, and it's a lot of travel and expense and we're doing four or five a year now, but I've done some of them for 18 years I did some of them that I'm not doing now for as many as 13 years straight, and I try and have the same spot in the show, so when people come back, uh, they know where to find me and they, if they have any issues, but that to me is my best proof. It's, it's real-life situations. It's unsolicited. It's unbiased is just what people are saying. And it is so consistent that that to me, if I could package that in a bottle for marketing, for advertising, if I could, if I could get somebody to just stand next to my booth, I mean, wherever I go, usually the booth across from me and the booths next to me, by the time the end of the show, they want to take everything I've got left <laughs> and because they they have heard the people come. And now they just bring their cell phone out and start showing me pictures. And the the consistency is so, so phenomenal that that convinces me better than anything else. Now, the only trial that I would really have a lot of faith in would be like in a pen situation would be is if you had uh, split fawns, split buck fawns and put one on a control and you did this over multiple years should be tremendously difficult and expensive. And it still does not give you the confidence. The number one thing is getting them to eat it at the right time of the year in the wild, getting them to eat it at the right time and in the right amount. And that I think is where our real advantage is. It's not so much that any of the, my competitors have Necessarily poor formulation. They have some really good formulation in a lot of these competing products. They just can't get them to eat it and they can't get it to eat it when they need it and they can't get people to remember to put it out when they need to. And I think that's why we've had more success is because people are putting it out early in the spring. I have a memory association trick, which I have a lot of people using now. It's it's just, we get a good increase in intake because of our formulation with the high salt. We get a large increase in intake right up, right at green up in the spring when those antlers really need it. And nobody else is really emphasizing that you have to have it out then and and that you need to remember when you're busy in the spring. I mean, most people think about it, you know, when they're tuning their bow up in June and July. And, and Uh, it's it's a little late you need to have it before you mow your lawn in the spring when that grass is just lush and full of water that's when you need to have it out that's that's where you start really seeing the benefit of
2: it and so into that timing piece like from a nutrition standpoint like through throughout the year what are the, like, why is it necessary? Why is it more necessary for the health of the deer? And let's remove the, the antler growth portion of it. Right. And let's go into that, you know, where you started with this whole thing, which was with the healthier deer herd and, and kind of like what it's doing for your herd at the different times throughout the year. So,
0: so this is the part that I put together afterwards. This is not how I originally made the formula or what I had in mind. But what I have learned is that pretty, first of all, they eat a very consistent amount of salt. It's, but it's different amounts at different times of the year. And what happens is their diet in late winter and early spring is dead, dead grass and dry browse. And when the new grass starts growing, that's all they're eating is that new growth grass, and it's almost 90% water. So their entire diet is almost 90% water. It flushes the electrolytes right out of their system, so they crave sodium. That's why you see them along the roadsides, desperately looking for road salt along the roads. That's why we get about a six fold increase in intake right at green up. From two weeks prior to green up till two weeks after green up, you can see a six fold increase in consumption of Lucky Buck. That's so critical because right then is when that antler's growing, when the does are birthing and having fawns. And going back to my selenium example, selenium is relatively poorly stored in the body. So they can't just mobilize it out of their store that they've built up in their body like they can like calcium they can mobilize some out of the bones for milk production and for antler growth but they can't really do that with selenium by getting that boost into them right when they really need it is just absolutely critical and that's makes a lot of difference
2: and so then from that aspect of it why if, if i was a consumer Um. Why as a why would it not be just a gimmick to say? Well, now you got to give it all year round.
0: So I want to maintain the site. I want to keep the deer coming into it. I want them to form a habit. I want to get the residual benefit of getting the trail camera pictures. And there's nothing better than lucky buck to put in front of your trail camera as far as a cost effectiveness. You can put corn, and sometimes the year they're gonna you're gonna get more pictures, but for for the cost, it's going to last you a lot longer and be a lot more practical in front of the camera. Then as you get into hunting season, you want to keep them coming in. And I tell people, you know, I hear all the time when I'm at a show, we don't have enough acreage to hold deer. We don't have, we, all we have is 10 acres. All we have is 20 acres. And my uh, spin on that is the smaller your acreage, the more important it is to give him another reason to be there. And this is one more reason to be there. He's going to be looking for a sodium source of some kind. And if you give him one, that's one more piece of the puzzle that keeps him on your property. And when you have the smaller properties, you may not be able to keep them on there all the time, but you got to give him a reason to be coming back there. And so I want to maintain that all year long and it doesn't cost you much to maintain it. So for 25 deer, To to quantify it a little bit, for 25 deer hitting a particular Lucky Buck site, it's going to take you a total of five buckets for the entire year, given it all year long. You're going to use about a bucket a month from green up until about the end of July, about a bucket a month, and then maybe a third of a bucket every other month, just to maintain the site. And that's all it takes. So you Get the benefit of keeping them coming in, you get the benefit of them not getting deficient throughout the rest of the year. And but if you're really tight on money, if you really uh, want to just focus on antlers, then from green up till the middle of July, and then put a trophy rock or put a salt block out, and you know, get a similar type of a benefit the rest of the year, but it at a At a a third of a bucket every other month. It really doesn't cost you much just to maintain that site for the rest of the year. And then you keep them coming in that way. So,
2: And and from that small acreage uh, thought process or whatever, is there a better, is there a best place for setting up a mineral site? Uh, A lot of times you uh, will see, I guess, and again, in, in my like inexperience, I would always see guys putting them on stumps or putting them, you know, here. And then, you know, my, my buddy that I said has been using it forever is taking, you know, three of the buckets down to Missouri. And he's like, there's these big, must be an old mineral site. Cause it's just dug up and tore up. Like, is there a better place for it? You know, near bedding, near
0: water, near, you know. If you've got water source, then fairly near water is definitely good, but it's not an absolute requirement. I do like you mentioned stumps. I do like putting it up on a stump or a log, especially in marshy, mucky areas or like sandy areas where it could percolate down in with some rainfall. I, I personally have a, a stump. It's just a it's a cut off piece of firewood that's about 18, 18 inches across. I took a chainsaw and dished it out, and I've used that for fifteen years. And they've chewed it up. It's got a crack in it, so the water gets away from it. They eat around it when it spills, but or I've had people that take a chainsaw and cut a V down a down a downed log and make a, a natural trough. I don't like using plywood or anything, you know. Not that's not really natural because I'm afraid my more elusive bucks could shy away from it. So a stump or a, a log that's already there, a rotten a rotten log. You just kick the top in and just pour it in that or something like that but placement wise pinch points funnels I mean if you don't have it in a in a pinch point or funnel it may take you more sites to get the coverage done but um, I like I actually like to put some in my sanctuary area early uh, when I'm out shed hunting or something and then just leave that and then later on uh, use my sites that are outside of that sanctuary area where I have my cameras and stuff um, and keep a better handle on it. But put put a little bit into that sanctuary area and then just just leave it and, and leave it alone. And then your, your bucks that may not come out as much still have access to it that way. So.
2: And so, I mean, right there you're using very much – deer hunter words right and you said you you didn't start out as a deer hunter you started this process i've
0: been i've been doing this for 25 <laughs> years and i do hunt not very successfully but i do hunt mostly to relate to my customers and i've talked to so many of my customers that and i've i've talked i've had some uh, biologists help me on my my own property you know that eight point was killed there and we've seen some really good bucks actually better than him since then, but there's way smarter than I am, but I would at some point, my goal was to kill one with a recurve and I did buy a really good crossbow last year. And that's probably going to be the, the way that I, the, the way that I kill that real monster because the, the recurve's pretty limited on, on range, but, um, So I, I do get out and I do enjoy it, but I just am not good at it. I don't have the patience and the time to devote to it that I, I I know my limitations. So,
2: sure. Uh, so how did that start the, the deer hunting? So you got into it to, I mean, so we're, we're very, uh, open and honest, like with all of our, uh, misfortunes in the woods and you know our limitations as well um so like as you 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 start this company you're you've got uh this deer mineral you're putting it out and now you feel like you've got to relate to your customers like what was your first uh year hunting like or like the experiences
0: the the very next year after the eight point he was killed in 01 so in 02 i went gun hunting um a nice really nice young eight point came under me i I could have thrown my gun at him and I let him go because I knew he had potential and I, even then I knew enough that age age is so critical and and he looked young and and I just i didn't even consider dropping him. I could have easily, especially with a shotgun. and then i when I started bow hunting then actually the year the eight point was killed, the neighbor said that that he didn't get the big one and that shocked me but after I heard it from two different people and they described it the same way, I knew I knew I needed uh, something other than just one to to prove my scenario. I didn't have to kill it myself but I really wanted to go out there and and see it and, and have a chance at it. Two years later, I saw the one that they described and he, He would have beat Hanson as a typical, no question, just absolutely uh, crazy, big, typical 13 point. And I can easily talk about him because he's long gone. This is 20 years ago. So um, I wasn't talking about him as freely back then, but I ended up seeing him four times bow hunting. And that kind of cemented my interest in being out in the woods, even though I knew There was very little chance that I would ever harvest a deer of that caliber, but, um, just seeing him was the experience of a lifetime. And that was right here in Hillsdale County. And he was, he was the one everybody dreams of. (laughs) And so what, what's
2: the story on that, um, that eight point because, it sounds like there must be an area. The area must have good genetics and in, in big deer. And if you're from Michigan, you know Hillsdale County, Jackson County. You know those kind of southern counties where they say the big ones, you know, are killed. Let, and let me out. let me
0: let me stop you right there. So most of that activity, especially in Hillsdale County, I'm not as familiar with Jackson County has happened since Lucky Buck came on the market. So when Aaron Davis killed the work, the, the state record for archery in oh3 he was 35 inches bigger than anything ever killed in Hillsdale County before that. So we have the same genetics, we have the same soybeans, we have the same alfalfa. But yet, as Lucky Buck came out, we started in Hillsdale County and being marketed in Hillsdale County, I'm not saying it's all cause and effect, but it's it's interesting from my perspective to see that all of a sudden we kill a a 225-inch buck when the biggest one ever killed prior to that in Hillsdale County was 191 inches. And since then, I know personally people using Lucky Buck killing there's multiple 200 plus inch bucks out of hillsdale county since then but a lot of a lot of the bigger deer coming from the southern uh, tier of counties is also just we have a lot better land here we have i i relate the the crop yields very similar parallel the antler size you look at the Iowa, Illinois have tremendous yields on corn and soybeans. A lot, some of that has to do with uh, age structure as well at compounding the benefit. But you look at the the crop yields in Southern Michigan versus Northern Michigan. There's about as much difference as there is between Illinois and Iowa and Southern Michigan. And, and a lot of that just natural fertility and, uh, uh, that the deer have have that advantage right there.
2: Yeah, it, it, but it would seem that you know you're to have a hundred and eighty five inch eight point would have to have good genetics bef- before the math.
0: Yes, right. So so genetics plays a factor, no doubt about it. There he would have been phenomenal without Lucky Buck, but. In my biased opinion, I don't think he would have been anywhere near what he is now. And there there was another one. Actually, we we figure it was his twin was killed the year before. They were running together, and the guy had his choice of the two and he took the other one. And there, there's where your age comes in. This this eight point was hit twice previous years with arrows in his shoulder when they tanned his hide. I mean, he, you just You need to get to that four-year-old in in Michigan where we kill two bucks a year. You just don't get very many to that four-year-old. I have told people when discussing this that Michigan, Southern Michigan could easily have be competitive with any other state in the country if we would just kill one buck a year and we would get some age structure onto our bucks, but with as many hunters and as much hunting pressure as we have, I think we have, you know, a real uphill battle getting an age structure on our deer. So, so age is age was number one, even over genetics. But obviously, you know, he was he was elite on the genetic side of it. But when discussing genetics, you can't control that unless you have a high fence. You can't you can't really harvest for genetic. You can't you know cull you know you never know what that buck's going to turn into if he's small as a young deer it's likely because his mother didn't take care of him as good maybe he was a twin maybe he was born late maybe he was injured maybe he was sick but if you give him a chance he'll likely catch up to his contemporaries in a couple of years and there's there's very little you can do to Control genetics, and you know, there's really no reason. I I do not believe that Illinois or Iowa or Buffalo County, Wisconsin have a have a genetic advantage to us. There's variation in genetics within any group, any any geographical area, but they don't have better genetics than we do. They have a better age structure. They have better nutrition. They have all of that but they there's no reason why the best genetic deer stay there and don't you know spread even pretty much evenly throughout the country now there's there's a difference north to south in in body size and and the heat plays an impact but from a genetic standpoint it's going to even itself out it's going that, that variation is going to be within a species within an area and yes that eight point was phenomenal on on genetics as well it just it takes to get a world-class deer it takes a everything clicking at the same time when i set up my display i i put up thousands of inches of of replica antlers of deer that were harvested on lucky buck and i tell people these are all mistakes somebody would have harvested every one of these deer the year before if they would have had a chance What I want to do is I want to produce, especially in Michigan, I want to produce a two two and a half year old buck that's worth hanging on your wall. If I can accomplish that, if I can make him look like he's a three and a half year old when he's a two and a half before everybody else has a chance to shoot him and before he gets smart enough and educated by all those people that wound him or shoot at him or miss him. If I can make that deer look like he's a three and a half year old when he's a two and a half year old, most of my customers are going to be happy most of the time. Then if one of those gets by and you get that three and a half or four and a half year old then, and you combine that with the genetics, you know, the best, if he happens to be one of the best genetic ones in your area, then you've got the world-class deer. But those are rare and those are what people love to talk about, but I love to talk practicality and, and that putting an extra year's worth of size on that two and a half or on that younger buck in your area where you've not seen him before is what really most of us are all about.
2: So uh, back on that, the eight point and kind of what I was trying to figure out is the, you said you bet been on lucky buck. You've been feeding lucky buck for a while, um, Three years. Yeah. So it it, it, it kind of sounds like, and I don't know how, how much pressure was there on your, your, your farm there. Cause it almost sounds like there was this, this old farmer that's fe- feeding, you know, he's got mineral sites set up, but nobody hunts there. And this is where all the be- big deer go to grow old. And then now you go in there and you get to get it, to hunt. Them. It
0: was, <laughs> it was not a sanctuary by any means. There was where... So the the one guy that actually found his sheds had two sons hunting that buck. They saw him the morning he was killed on their property. They pushed him over onto my property where Vic shot him. The other guy feeding the mineral was a quarter mile away to the south of my farm. His two sons also saw him during bow season, videotaped him during bow season on their 10 acres of property. So they had both had legitimate chances at this buck, but neither of them could close the deal. And the second, uh, the second time they actually pushed him, they, they tried to sneak up on him. They saw him in a fence row, tried to sneak up on him, pushed him across, and Vic, Vic ended up shooting him on my property. But this area has, it's, it's within a half a mile of state hunting, the, the Lost Nations hunting preserve. And the, the fact that he was wounded twice, the fact that his twin brother was killed the year before, uh, is a good indication of the, the degree of luck involved that he ended up getting to be four years old instead of threes.
2: <laughs> sure. Now with the, the lucky bucket, I know it's impossible to quantify, but you're, um, Marketing and everything that says you know you, you know you'll see difference within a year if you will give your money back after two years um the uh, the guy that put us in touch, Tracy was talking about um what you guys would call a a typical lucky buck deer like you can tell that he's been eating or you know so what are you seeing in terms of antler growth uh from using your product
0: for some reason, and I can't explain this at all. I have no reason no no reason that it would be but mass is the one thing that just really sticks out when you look down the lineup that we take to the shows and stuff and they just put on mass and we have had wild deer that people know it's the same deer otherwise I mean one of them had a double throat patch and that's unusual and it was coming into the same same place. And one year to the next, it more than doubled as mass when they started feeding lucky Buck. And over the, all these years, there's enough of those types of stories where they know it's the same deer, but it's hard to believe. And it's, it's vastly increased the mass. And one other story that I like to share, and I wish I could show this because it's just so dramatic, but the guy, that made the first replica of that eight point was up in white cloud. And when I took him that rack, he was a complete skeptic. He said phenomenal genetics or something. I told him I was going to promote my mineral using this replica. and He, he was a skeptic, but he had a couple of deer that he used bottle fed babies. When they grew up, he checked the eyes and the ears for his taxidermy work. And so he knew what those deer were. He only had two bucks. It wasn't like this was the best example out of a hundred deer, but he started feeding a lucky buck just for kicks because he was skeptical and he was feeding a, uh, I think a perina deer chow pallet. It was a, should have been properly formulated. And if I would have had to bet at that point, I would have said, this isn't going to make any difference because they already got soy and they already got the stuff that I'm doing and you're force feeding it and it's not going to make a difference. The difference, I have the sheds from that buck the two previous years at three and four. And that was uh, as a five-year-old that he started feeding the mineral and he could not believe it. It doubled the mass and looked exactly like Vic's eight point as far as mass. And before he was just a fairly normal looking deer. And we've done that on a couple of other high fence bucks where it's, it's, not the same, but gives an indication that it's, it's somehow affecting the mass more than anything else. But
2: maybe you know the answer to this, maybe not. Uh, but it would seem relevant here. Like, I've heard uh, different people talk about deer and when their antler growth like peaks around that. Four or five years, and then you you know it seems almost like a ground shrinkage thing when guys say, like, oh, I thought he was bigger or whatever. Um, but you also get a lot of guys saying, you're like, oh, yeah, that deer was probably on the way down, or you know, they've got pictures of him and he was bigger last year. Um, have you heard anything or have any photo evidence or whatever to say that this is continuing the upswing or, or lengthening that?
0: Please if anybody <laughs> wants to get serious about managing their deer send the teeth in know how old that deer is because i know we have people killing deer that are younger than what they think they are once they get on a program like this and there's two examples it's going to take a little more time than than maybe you want but they were they really They really hit home to me as to what we're doing from an age structure standpoint. I had one guy that, that was in Wisconsin. I didn't get his name. He just called me up and he just kind of filled his heart to me that they switched to lucky buck and they had a large co-op and they aged every deer that they killed. But first Everybody guessed how old they thought they would be based on rack size. Before feeding Lucky Buck, they, they knew about what they to expect. And they were everybody was wrong on almost every deer by one or two years, the years they were feeding Lucky Buck. They were younger than what they thought they were based on the antler size. Some reason, they switched to another brand. They didn't quit feeding mineral completely. They switched to another brand. I don't know whether it was cost or I don't know whether it was somebody good salesmanship or whatever. And they went right back to where they were. They were they were not getting that year to two-year advantage on uh, antler size. The other example I want to give you is the only clean eight point ever killed bigger than Vic Bolner's one that was on Lucky Buck. Was killed in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. And it's bigger than this eight point. And it's a clean eight point with 30 inch beams, scores in the low 190s. But that buck was eight years old. He was killed illegally. So that's why I still consider this one the world's biggest eight point. The DNR has the rack. It's so similar to this one mass wise, but it's five inches wider, has a 30 inch spread. 30 inch beams and he was eight years old and the guy that was hunting him had been feeding lucky buck for four years, has the sheds on him as a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and he's bigger at eight than he was at both six and seven. And I truly believe that the lucky buck is going to prolong the you're going to have larger antlers later in life on these deer. Normally they are going to peak at somewhere five and a half or six, six and a half. And there was another one in Kansas that was an eight year old buck and he was bigger at eight than he was at seven and six. I do have one more story on a, on a high fence, buck that, that the guy bought as a 10 year old, just to see what he would do. And he, more than doubled his mass going and he he bought him as a nine-year-old his 10-year-old on lucky buck was the most antler he'd ever had in his entire life and he ended up living to be 13 years old and got bigger every year through through 13 years but it's just it's one example it's a high fence buck it's it's not really relevant to much conversation other than it was a it was phenomenal to see what that deer did compared to what he was in his, even in his prime.
2: And so what you were talking about of that one or two year advantage and, you know, for a Michigan two year old, you're kind of hamstrung now with the rules that were supposed to, you know, that, that they've put in place. Um, Where are you at? Or is there like any sort of like um, collaboration with other, mineral or feed companies or whatever to lobby uh for for able to be able to use in this state and maybe other states where it's it's not allowed
0: in Michigan there was a really big push 3 years ago maybe and it actually passed i testified at both the house and senate subcommittee meetings and it actually passed and the governor vetoed it um but uh to to repeal the baiting ban and my argument on that Um, If you go to, I have a YouTube video up there that's pretty popular or that's been out for quite a bit. I actually testified the same session that Ted Nugent uh, testified, but he, he got all the press (laughs) and, but I spoke there and and that recording has actually uh, got a, I think a pretty good uh, explanation of why I think it's so important uh, to repeal the ban and I actually think that the DNR and the biologists are wrong uh, in their strategy for banning uh, supplementation, especially minerals, because it helps the health of the deer. And I think that they're looking at it from a total, uh, totally wrong view because the deer are going to travel for... Food for breeding, for uh, protection, shelter, but they're also going to travel for sodium. They're going to look for sodium. And they're also, as far as food sources, they're going to look for food sources. And the fewer the sources, the further they're going to travel. And I think a huge component of the spreading of potential spreading of CWD is the travel. I mean, if there's a positive case of CWD in Jackson County, I don't want my Hillsdale County bucks traveling and making contact with those Jackson County ones. And so I laid out the numbers of sodium sources, potential natural occurring sodium sources versus the number of deer. And and that's what I gave in my testimony there. And one of the one of the senators that was on the committee actually uh Inadvertently made a very good point. Uh, he said that in Nuevo County, we have 20 to 30,000 hunters. And if they all put out bait piles, that's going to be a tremendous amount of congregating of the deer. Well, if Nuevo County has anywhere near the average number of deer for the state, they have between 20 000 and 30,000 deer in the state. And if you have 20 000 or 30,000, bait piles each one has their home private it's when there's a combine spill or an apple tree or you know a limited number of places that the deer can go for those food sources that you run into the problem because then the then the deer from a contaminated area or potentially problematic area will travel and come in contact with the group that isn't and they'll take it back to their group so it's more the travel that's my concern and if I can provide them with a salt source, you know, I sold 50,000 buckets, a lucky buck in the state of Michigan the year prior to me, me testifying for this. And if Trophy Rocks sold a similar number and and the, all of our competitors combined sold that many more, some 150,000 more sources that those deer can not have to travel to. And so the DNR and and. They referred me to their state bat, and he dismissed me out out of hand. Didn't even have a discussion with me. But um, it's it's their prerogative. But I think they're approaching it wrong. And I think that the evidence that they point to in other states like Wisconsin and Illinois is where the DNR says you know the contrast between Illinois's strict ban and Wisconsin's not being strict about it has created. A much higher incidence in Wisconsin than Illinois. Well, it's, it's totally bogus because chronic wasting was in Wisconsin for probably 20 years, and then Illinois was rel- it moved. Pretty obviously, moved from Wisconsin into Illinois much more recently, and that's the reason for the number of cases, rather than you know the management and the and the. Uh, The baiting bans and feeding bans that have been in place. So it's there's a lot to that argument, and there's a lot to think about. Chronic wasting is a serious disease. There's no question about it. It's it's everything they say about it as far as uh, how bad it is. I agree with. It's just a matter of how to manage for it. And coming from me, it sounds like you know I want to actually it's an economic thing, but in reality, I actually think we're selling more mineral in the States that have the bands than we ever have before, because it's easier to hide for one reason than the corn or the apples or the carrots, you know, and it's, it's not as, and, and I see, a, I see large quantities of, of food sources being very problematic. I see dumping truckloads of, of, corn and carrots and stuff and that being very much a problem but a conscientious use of small amounts in what we need is more sites rather than less and smaller amounts that's the key to it but you know that's that's we haven't been given that opportunity we we had an opportunity with those subcommittee uh Meetings and actually being passed through both the House and Senate but with the veto that pretty much uh, i I don't see it really coming back to make any difference uh, or being being tried again because of that veto power so
2: so uh, I guess but that passed and then it was the governor so would it uh, with another governor would that be a yeah, when you bring it, it, it up could, again
0: I think if if the if the House and Senate remain uh, similarly uh, politically uh, aligned, and and we get a different governor, then it's, it's a definite possibility. Then, but from my perspective, other than you know, as as long as the as long as the uh, enforcement isn't uh, drastically uh, uh, increased. Um, I look at it, and I shouldn't probably, but I look at it very similar to driving the speed limit. I've used this a lot at the Iowa Deer Classic when people from Illinois come over and, and to my booth and they say, well, we can't, we can't use it. And I said, did you drive the speed limit when you drove to this show? And they usually chuckle. And I tell them that I drive as fast as i can as long as i'm safe and people around me are safe and i don't get caught so and I, you know that's i look at this very similarly to that that if i know that i'm not endangering or i feel confident that i'm not endangering myself or somebody else i i keep quiet about it or i i just you know don't the, my biggest frustration, frankly, from especially for Michigan is that, and, and other states for longer periods of time, for that matter, is I can't utilize the stories that people are giving me because I would incriminate the person if I used them. There's been some tremendous bucks in Illinois killed using Lucky Buck, and I can't use them. And for the last for however many years it is in Michigan there's been some really nice bucks and i can't use them so you know that that's that's one of my frustrations but from a from a sales standpoint you know i'm probably better off with a ban in effect than than from an economic standpoint
2: so and so for you for you as a as a company and the the rules that are in place like how does the government not you know, say that you can't sell it? I mean, and that's one of the things with the, the synthetic or, you know, whatever deer you're in has to be ATA approved, you know, that stuff's all over the shelves everywhere, you know, and that's one of the big things I know the listeners in New Jersey are talking about, you know, they say you can't do this and then it's everywhere and you can buy it. Like, what do you, where do you think that's going? You know?
0: Well, the, the only state that I've ever had an issue with as far as the state trying to stop the sale is New York state and they've been illegal since 02 I believe. They went in, they they put the ban in effect the same time that Illinois did and Wisconsin all of them there was a big push in 02 right when I was getting started um, and but New York state was There was a lot of dealers in New York state that refused to put it on the shelves for some, uh, for some reason that state in particular tried to put an emphasis on the actual sale of it in all of the rest of the states. From my experience, it's just the end user, how they use it their responsible. So the selling of it, you could, especially in Michigan, you could be going to the UP or you could be going out of state, like on our border counties here, you could easily be buying it in Michigan and taking it out of state where it's legal to use. Uh, It's legal in Ohio. Anytime it's legal in Indiana, as long as you're not hunting over it, you can feed it in the spring. Um, So that's kind of the reason the retailers uh, don't have a problem with handling. Some of them do. And I have, I have one dealer in particular, in Michigan, that just won't sell any of anything that's not legal to use in the state. He, he, but only one that I know of has has quit handling the lucky buck, and and it's it's uh, user's discretion rather than the actual point of sale. That's the problem. So.
2: And so, uh, just to kind of wrapping up, close out here. Like you've also got some like the freak factor, um, on there. So, so what is that?
0: So that's a brand new product. And I've, I've understanding the limitations of lucky buck as an attractant in late season and hunger wins. But the problem is most people are actually hurting the health of the deer in order to bring them in and, and to attract them. And I'm referring mostly to just shelled corn. Shelled corn is, the deer love it. There's no question about it. They come in, especially with a little snow cover and you know late season when the crops are off the fields, you put corn out, you'll have deer, no question about it. It's it's cheap generally, although this year's the exception. It's a little bit weather resistant with a hard shell on it, with a with a full, with a whole corn versus like a ground product or a uh, pelleted product that gets mushy and spoils pretty quickly. So shelled corn is it's available anywhere, you know, pretty well nationwide, and it gets sold by the truckloads. Literal truckloads. The problem is that it's low in protein, it's low in calcium, it's high in carbs, and the deer like it so much that they overeat on it and they get sick. And there's a lot of deer that have died from slug feeding corn. We'd never, back to my ag background, back to my nutrition background, we would never feed cattle or horses or any domestic animals, for that matter, a bunch of corn all of a sudden when they weren't acclimated to it. It would make them sick. They would get acidosis. They would get diarrhea. They would potentially kill them if we fed them too much corn when they weren't accustomed to it. Well, our deer, even though they have access to a cornfield, say, and they they have to work to get it off the cob and they have to work to get walk the fields to find it, we dump whole shelled corn in a pile for them, and they will get sick. Now, I have no problem with timed feeders. I have no problem with keeping a consistent source of corn out there. But the weekend warrior that dumps 100 pounds of corn out there, that deer comes in, gets deathly sick, the weekend warrior comes back the next weekend, sees that it's gone, assumes the deer like it, dumps another hundred pounds out. Well, that deer went through a, a series of diarrhea, stomach upset, is just finally recovering by the next weekend, comes out and does it again. And about the third time that deer is going to be deathly, you know, is going to have lost weight, is going to be in really bad shape. So. I came up with freak factor as an alternative, I have a patent applied for intentionally to slow the rate of usage. I think the critical thing is small frequent meals when you're working with a hunger based attractant. I want a a higher protein than what corn does, and I want a lower consumption rate, and What we've done, and we're using the same thing that we've used with our Lucky Buck for 25 years. We're using salt to control intake, and we're slowing the rate of consumption down. You can feed this straight, or you can mix it with your corn, and you can slow the rate at which they'll eat that corn by the ratio which you make with this. So you can do 50-50, 80-20, 20-80, 20-80 you can make that corn last longer. We've also got preservatives in it so it won't spoil nearly as quickly as what most grain products will spoil. But you mix this with your corn or standalone, and you're going to have a really good attractant. And we're, we're looking at pre and post rot and through the wintertime feeding for this primarily. And this one, usually, I want you to maintain your lucky buck site, but they're usually not really active on it at that time of year anyway. This will give you an extra boost for your uh, attractant and it'll give them a boost in fat and protein when they really need it late winter or through the winter and late after rut when they're trying to re regain their uh, weight loss after, especially in Michigan, running their butts off almost literally anytime an animal loses two. Tooth- you know a third of its body weight in a matter of weeks it's not going to recover and, and that's key a key part of putting that antler on the next year is that body recovering during the rut season so
2: awesome yeah we got uh some of that sent down to ohio um for my father-in-law has a a lease he's been working with down there and uh, so We'll, we'll see what that, uh, what yields for us, uh, for the upcoming season. Um, so I, I really appreciate you taking the time with us and it's been, you know, very interesting, uh, for the, I guess the science behind it is always interesting and from not a, from a non hunter perspective and, uh, almost like a very wholesome, approach to it from the beginning saying like i know i can make them healthier and then oh my gosh their their antlers just seem to grow also so um you know like I say i really appreciate you taking the time uh, where can people find lucky buck you know if they if they don't have it in their area how do they order it where can you know if they have got questions how do they uh, go about getting those answered
0: just just google just just search for our website luckybuckmineral.com and uh, if you have any questions you can get our phone number and you can call us directly there too but um, there's so many stores that are carrying it now and if your local one doesn't um, I encourage you to go in and and have them uh, ordered in for you if you request it usually they'll go ahead and and stock it the the shipping is quite prohibitive on it so we don't encourage direct sales we, we like to go through our dealer network which is pretty extensive we've got uh, thousands of stores that have it but if yours doesn't if you can go in and talk to the manager or owner and have them contact us we'll get them and set we'll set them up as a dealer and that's the best way to get it by far for us awesome well i really
2: appreciate it thank you for your time sir
0: Thank you.